Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We are honored that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening schedule. I'm sure you have a busy schedule and a lot of things on your plate, but we are glad that you have the radio on or your smartphone or your device on and are joining us here on That's Truth on this Tuesday evening. I'm Nathan Owens and... Pastor Murphy is not able to join us for tonight's episode. However, sitting across the desk from me is a very familiar voice here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. It's that of Brother Nestor Campbell. Brother Campbell is a familiar voice, as I mentioned, and his radio program Love and Service can be heard on Monday evenings at 8.30 p.m. here on CRL. In addition to his program, on multiple occasions, Brother Campbell has filled in as a guest speaker here on That's Truth. Brother Campbell, welcome to tonight's episode of That's Truth, and it's an honor to have you sitting across the desk from me. Thank you so much, Brother Nathan, and it's a pleasure to be here. Our topic tonight is one that relates to questions that have come in over the past few years that we've been doing That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and it's a topic that is taught in the Bible, but different groups have interpreted the Bible passages in different ways in order to suit their own denomination or organization's teachings. The topic is water baptism. What does the Bible say about water baptism? And how should these passages influence the practices in your church? That's what we're going to be discussing tonight, in addition to your questions. So please send in your questions or call in with your questions. Brother Campbell, I often ask Pastor Murphy to share any opening introductory comments to kind of whet our appetite as we go into the topic over the next 90 minutes. Any opening thoughts on the topic of water baptism that you'd like to share? Yes, Brother Nathan. It it is an important topic, but when I first mentioned it to Pastor Murphy, I was wondering, would he say that's too trite a topic? for uh, a program of such intellectual eminence. Um, As I listen to it, I'm often thrilled with all the thoughts and knowledge that Dr. Murphy brings to the table and to the discussion. Um, But I am convinced that it is an important topic. I'm convinced that it's an important topic uh, for a number of reasons. One, well, two primary reasons may I mention. 
and those are that um, those who think that it is not important and therefore they can ignore it they need to be disabused otherwise they need to be shown the truth so that they can obey the Lord on the other hand there are those who believe that they are only truly saved after water baptism so in a similar fashion they also need to be guided into the truth so for those two reasons I think it is an important topic as I'm hearing you share those thoughts I'm envisioning a spectrum and the importance that there's got to be a balanced view how do we make sure that we've got a balanced view? What is our source of reference, or uh, how do we ensure that we've got a correct balance? Well, we are sure when we look at, one, the teachings of our Lord, the practices of his disciples, the written scripture uh, there in the epistles, and um, the teachings, I would say, of good, godly men of God. Um. As we delve into this topic, again, we're talking about water baptism, but if you have a question or a thought on another topic, feel free to contact us. But as we talk about water baptism, what is the process of water baptism as you see it in Scripture? It is a physical process because the process is uh, uh, different from the purpose. Well, not different, but related to the purpose, but they're two different questions. So I'm going to just explain those that physical process, which many people know. First, there is the entering of the water. There must be water that you can enter into for this process to be correctly carried out. Secondly, there must be a public confession of faith in Christ. And this is not a confession that is occurring for the first time. It's not an initial expression of faith in Christ. This would have been done before. But this is now being done publicly so that the persons looking on are listening on on as the case may be, will be aware that this person has a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's the basis for his action. So there's a public confession of faith in Christ. The baptizer will probably say, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, or however he may word it. And then there is being immersed in the water. This is, one of, this is the reason why there must be a large body of water present. And the Bible tells us about that in John chapter 3. Uh, there is that uh, John baptized near Enon in the river Jordan because there was much water there. Then there's being raised up out of the water. Having been immersed briefly, the person is raised up out of the water and then he walks out before witnesses present. That is the the, the the process in terms of 
actions that will be taken and will be seen and observed at the water baptism. You mentioned a number of times the importance of having large amount of water, water you could enter into. Are you saying that from Scripture you can't find the example of sprinkling? Or that from a what you would inter- consider an, a proper interpretation of Scripture that you don't find sprinkling? Well, I was wondering where the sprinkling comes from. But um, if I may, like Paul, pardon me, uh, Paul would say, pardon me this moment of boasting. But I just read through the Bible in 38 days. I gave myself 40 days. But I made it in 38 days. And in reading through, I was quite interested, particularly in the book of Leviticus, where the Levites were being prepared for their ministry. And there you will find lots of sprinkling occurring. An Old Testament um, experience. Sprinkling of blood, washing with water from uh, the laver, and so forth in the temple. But there's no translation of that into the teachings of the Lord Jesus and his disciples. For them, as I mentioned in John chapter 3, maybe I should read that, you think? Yeah, or feel free at any time to, if there's a passage you would like read, to let me know what it is, and I'll be glad to read it also. Okay, I'm going to John chapter 3, and um, I virtually quoted it a while ago, but let me go back to it. And it says there, uh, verse 23, And John also was baptizing in Enon, near to Salem, because there was much water there. So the baptism, the the baptismal process, obviously required the presence of much water, and uh, it is also happening in the River Jordan. So that's what we read there in chapter John, chapter three, verse twenty-three. It says, "And they came and were baptized." And you know, if I may go further on that, we have that the fact that the Lord Jesus himself uh, was baptized and associated himself with this baptism in a place where there was much water. If we go down a little bit in that very scripture, verse 25, it says, there, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Jesus also uh, practiced that baptism, and obviously in the same place that or same area that John did the baptizing, where there was much water. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, we have the case of, the, of Philip, the evangelist, and uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, 
after Philip explained to the Ethiopian eunuch that the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 was speaking about the Lord Jesus. And somehow, Philip was able to communicate so much to the Ethiopian eunuch that the eunuch asked a most pertinent question. He said, see, here is water. <laughs> hmm. He had already learned that they had to have a lot of water. And I know that, and we know that, because it says both of them went down into the water. That couldn't have been a cup of water. <laughs> <laughs> so they both went down into the water, the Bible says. After uh, the, the eunuch asked the question, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said to him, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And the eunuch responded quite appropriately, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the Bible says that they both went down into the water, and he, Philip, baptized him, the eunuch. And then they came out, and Philip was taken away. So again, to answer your, your question, dear brother, it is evident that there was need for much water, and... Um, that leaves us to understand that a cup of water or a, a small amount of water being sprinkled on somebody could not qualify as baptism in biblical terms. In the case that um, an individual makes a deathbed uh, confession of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they're in the hospital, they just have hours to live, maybe a day to live, and they are not able to be immersed. Does that lack of baptism as they enter eternity as a child of God, does that affect their standing before God? Do you believe there's any example in Scripture of that? Or? There is, and it does not affect their standing in itself at all because the baptism is required for, uh, as an act of obedience and as a testimony. They would not have had an opportunity to obey, and therefore it would not be held against them. And secondly, in terms of the testimony, I suppose, uh, on the deathbed they may have spoken to someone, whoever would have uh, witnessed to them, or even if someone didn't witness to them, they're likely to speak out uh, with their mouth mm -hmm. and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know I'm going to be with him in glory. Yes, the example is that of the thief on the cross who had no opportunity to be baptized and yet, <laughs> what wonderful words, our Lord Jesus said to him, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. There's a lot in that statement, today and paradise in terms of what we know about the experience of the Lord. But what is glorious about it is that the man was being assured that what you and I as baptized believers can look forward to when we are called up or caught up, either one, that man had it. Baptism did not hinder him. Today shall thou be with me in paradise. I don't want to jump ahead of the, the material that you have for us, but that logically in my mind leads to the next question of, if 
a person, it doesn't affect a person standing directly before God if they're on their deathbed. Why do I, as a healthy individual who's out and about, and I make a profession of salvation, and why do I need to get saved if it really doesn't make that big of a difference? How would you respond to someone that asks that? You mean to get saved or to get baptized? I You get saved, but then you, they don't want to follow in believer's baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, why should they? If the person has made a commitment to the Lord, then, uh, and, and, and I really want to make this point in a very clear way. If, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, then that means that you obey him. And if you do not obey him, it brings into question whether he is your Lord or not. You know, uh, let me actually, I wrote a few points on that very thing there uh, while preparing to come here. And uh, I mentioned that there are reasons, some of the reasons why we should be baptized would include the fact that Jesus, our Lord, submitted himself to baptism. You know, he went to John when John was baptizing at the River Jordan. And John resisted him. John said, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me to be baptized? And Jesus said some wonderful words that we should take into consideration when we're thinking about um, being believers but not being willing to be baptized. Jesus said, suffer it, suffer it means allow it, suffer it to be so, for so it becometh us to fulfill righteousness. (laughs) This was an act of fulfilling righteousness. Jesus our Lord, let me share my notes that I wrote down a while ago, it's on paper, so if it make a few cricks you will understand. Jesus himself went to John the Baptist at the River Jordan and not only submitted to water baptism in the river, but also insisted that John complete the exercise as a means of fulfilling righteousness. We find that in Matthew 13, right on to verse... Matthew 3, sorry. Verse 13, right on to verse 17. And we can note that while Jesus submitted himself to baptism, the Father spoke in approval of the Lord. In the last verse there, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Praise the Lord. So if God is pleased with baptism, why should one who claims that he is submitting to God resist baptism? John was resisting baptizing Jesus. He wasn't resisting baptism. He was resisting baptizing Jesus. And Jesus said, suffer it, allow it to be so. But Jesus did not only submit to baptism, he also, by baptism, was showing forth his death, burial, and resurrection. And we will probably come to that a little later. But he also practiced baptism. We read that a while ago in John chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. Jesus did baptize, or possibly had his disciples baptize. It's not 100% clear, but he said 
he baptized as well. So not only was he baptized, but he, but he practiced baptism. And then he instructed uh, others, uh, his disciples, to baptize. He gave that, those instructions to his disciples as he was about to return to heaven, that they should baptize those who believe, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, and teach them, teach them things that they needed to know. But not only did the Lord Jesus submit, practice, and instruct his people to, to, to baptize, but the apostles obeyed him. And the one I was thinking of when you asked the question, dear brother, was the Apostle Paul. The apostles and leaders of the church practiced it the same way he taught it. In Acts chapter 2, 41, it says, those who uh, believed, they were baptized. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41. In Acts chapter 8, we have the example of, uh, of Paul, sorry, and the Ethiopian union, uh, eunuch. Um, but we have the example of Paul, and uh, that would be what, chapter 10 of the book of Acts. And I, I want to take a note of that. Let me just go quickly to to that one in Acts chapter uh, Acts chapter 9 while you're turning there let me just do a station identification and encourage you you're listening to the radio lighthouse 1160 AM 92.3 FM the name of the program is That's Truth if you've just tuned in tonight and you're saying, wait, I don't hear Pastor Murphy. Pastor Murphy's not able to be here this evening, but filling in for him and doing a great job is Brother Nestor Campbell, one of our fellow broadcasters here on the Radio Lighthouse. If you're enjoying his teaching, let me encourage you to tune in on Monday evenings at 8.30 p.m. to his regular program, Love and Service Broadcast. If you have a question about the topic of water baptism, maybe about another topic, feel free to send in your WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. Or if you'd like to call and be put live on the air, you can call 268-462-7420. You can also join us on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed link and then you can right there in the comment section on your device you can comment your question or get passed along to brother campbell in a timely manner go ahead brother campbell yes uh, in the case of paul i want us to note that paul submitted himself to the lordship of jesus christ in a, in the clearest of ways <laughs> You couldn't do it better than this, I may say. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm still saying it. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't do it better than this. Paul, you were Saul at the time. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And his response was, Who art thou, Lord? Now, he is making a person Lord of his life without knowing exactly who the person is. That's faith. He knew that whoever was speaking to him was his Lord. But he just wanted to know 
exactly who the person is. And the response was, of course, that I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. His next next response was, What will thou have me to do, Lord? Lord, verse 6, he says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Now that's a conversion that is compelling and complete and convincing because not only was he already calling Jesus Lord before he knew who the person was, but having known what who the person was, he immediately committed himself to doing whatever the Lord wanted him to do. Hmm. And one of the things that he knew the Lord wanted him to do comes out in verse 18. It says, And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. So because Jesus is Lord, you do what he wants you to do. What I like about that is that the next verse says, And when he had received meat... In other words, he was doing that even before he got a thing to eat. Wow. He was committed to doing the will of his Lord. And that is what salvation is, in my opinion. When Jesus becomes your Lord to the point where you will not ask a question about what to do except to know what to do. Not to question or cast doubt on what you're being told. Not to dis dispute or debate it, but to obey. And that is how Saul was. He was Saul before he became Paul. So, yes, the answer is, if you are converted and committed to Christ, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, then you will not say, Uh-huh, he's my Lord, I'm going to heaven, I don't have to obey him, I'm not going to bother with that water baptism. You know, can I tell a quick story? Yeah. It happened when I was a young believer decades ago. We lived in this little village, uh, Sugar Estate, the British-owned Sugar Estate, and the British employed what was called then a dispenser. That was the highest qualification that uh, the medical personnel in our district had. Um, and uh, the missionary, a Scottish missionary, the person who... Um, ministered to me before I became a believer. The missionary uh, went into to the dispenser's home and spoke with him. His wife had committed his life, to, her life to Christ and uh, spoke to him and came back and reported to us that the dispenser has committed his life to the Lord. But he doesn't want to get baptized because he says he'll catch a cold. Now, could you imagine that? <laughs> So, as far as I know, he never got baptized uh, until he passed away, but that was his position. He didn't want to catch a cold, so he was not going to be baptized. Now, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, you'll catch more than a cold for him. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me wonder if he uh, bathed on a regular occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> as you are talking about baptism, and you talked about the process. What would, how would you summarize the significance of water baptism? Um, simple yet profound. The candidate enters the water. 
he closes his eyes, he stops breathing because he's about to be immersed in the water, he's about to be put under the water. It's a reflex action, yes. It's not that the preacher will say to him, close your eyes, stop breathing. Well, he may tell him to stop breathing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, stop breathing. Because that signifies death. Yeah, that's what happens when, when a person dies. Then the candidate is immersed in the water. The significance of that is burial. And uh, then the facilitator or the baptizer raises the person out of the water. Now the baptizer puts him under the water because no dead man can get up and bury himself. So he's buried by the water baptism, signifying that he is in Christ. He's, he's baptized in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And that's the body of Christ, as we know from First uh, Corinthians 12, verse 13, that we are all baptized by the Spirit, the same Spirit, into the body of Christ. So, so the, the physical process is a message uh, or to the world about the spiritual experience. So he's, he's uh, immersed and then he's raised up out of the water by the facilitator. The candidate obviously opens his eyes now and breathes again. And I would say that that symbolizes new life or new birth. It's not that that is the new birth, but it symbolizes it. It says, this is what I've experienced, and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. And the candidate walks out of the water, symbolizing his new walk for Christ. Would you agree with the statement that water baptism should be take place in a public place? I will. As opposed to like your your bathtub in your own home kind of thing. <laughs> well, it's been so difficult to do it in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> but I would I, I I hesitated just for a split second because there may be circumstances where a person's life might be threatened in some countries by a public baptism. It might look to some person like provocation. Uh, we've got some people who. Well, I've got some people who communicate with me from India, and they keep speaking about the persecution that they, they experience. So wisdom would have to prevail in that case. But the ideal uh, operation would be done, op ideally the operation would be done in a public show, because that's what it's supposed to do. We have a WhatsApp comment that has come in from Antigua. Thank you to all who are listening. But this says, Hi, a pleasant good evening to you and your group. Very enlightening program. May the Lord be glorified. Very fitting topic. Thanks. Just a word of encouragement. And thank you for passing that along to us. And I think it would be very appropriate for me to share. If you have a question about this topic, maybe a situation that you have run up against, with water baptism or in a conversation with maybe a coworker or a family member about water baptism, maybe another topic, feel free to send a WhatsApp or text message to 1-268-782-1454. Or you can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420.
I found it very interesting when you were talking in Acts chapter 9 about uh, Saul and his conversion to Paul and or that time period in his life and that last verse in verse eight, the last word in verse 18 baptized I honestly can't say I've ever really seen that word jump out at me in that context it's always scales falling off his mm-hmm. eyes or as if it were scales and then he received nourishment or food and I found that very interesting that he was so focused on uh, the importance of baptism mm-hmm. yes So we've talked about the process of water baptism. You've talked about what the significance is. Can you share with us some things that must occur or be present for biblical baptism to take place? Are there criteria or things that need to be in place? Yes, and I think it's based on what all that we have said so far. Uh, You remember the... Ethiopian eunuch asks, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And the response was, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of uh, of God. And I think that that speaks of how much he learned in that little chariot. Well, it wasn't a chariot ride for him. It was a journey for him, but a chariot ride for Philip. And so we need a believing subject. The Philippian jailer, he he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul Paul and Silas said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that's Acts chapter 16. And there again, we are told, Paul ministered to them. He washed their wounds and was baptized. But uh, he was presented with the fact that he had to believe. This is one of the arguments against uh, <laughs> baptizing infants, but uh, we don't want to push too much on that side of things. Then there must be a willing heart. As you asked the question earlier about somebody who may commit his life to Christ but decide that he doesn't want to be baptized. And we have people like that. You know, it, it troubles me uh, you know, I, I, I've encountered a few persons, pure persons that I, well, I thought I led to the Lord, <laughs> you know, and um, and uh, they are extremely hesitant. As a matter of fact, the person told me he wasn't ready, he and his wife, because I married these two couple, you know, as a marriage officer, and uh, before that I spoke to them about the Lord, and they made their commitments, both of them. But years after... They still have not shown any inclination to to be married. So what you need is a willing heart. Okay? You need a believing subject, a facilitating servant, somebody who is going to baptize them. And I say servant, meaning servant of God. Willing heart. The person must be willing. And there must be much water. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.07, and we are honored that you are listening to That's Truth. The topic tonight is water baptism, and the teacher, the voice that you've been hearing teaching, is that of Brother Nestor Campbell. Brother Campbell, can you share a little bit about your testimony, maybe 
when you were saved and then how the Lord led you to a point of baptism? When I got saved, I was so excited about being saved and uh, I was in my teens and um, I was quite excited. I knew that people got baptized, but I didn't know in terms of my personal uh, need. But the missionary uh, taught us and we understood that and I was ready. I think he took about, I, I think I got saved in February and the baptism took place in August. But if he had said to me the day I, I got saved in my home, actually committed my life to my home, and the following day I went to his house and told him that I had committed my life to the Lord. And if he said, if he had said then, Nestor, come, you need to be baptized, I would have gone mm -hmm. <laughs> like a bullet. <laughs> I was so determined to serve the Lord and so forth. I got myself into a lot of trouble <laughs> because of the, the, the zeal that I had. Uh, for the Lord. If uh, looking back now, I probably would do things differently. But at that time, that zeal got me into a lot of trouble. I just wanted to please the Lord. You know, I, if I might share a quick experience here, you know, when I said to the head of the church, the, the, the leader, you know, can I help to teach Sunday school? He said, Nestor, we don't have a class that you can teach. But I had heard about somebody who was told just such a thing. And he went and got a class. So I went into the village all week and turned up with about 12 or more children. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of zeal I had. And I turned up with these children and the missionary took the children. He sent one to one class and some to another class and some to another class. And still I was without a class. <laughs> so, the so the next thing I did, I went into a village and got permission from somebody to use their property and started a Sunday school out there. And, you know, the rest I wouldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking tonight about the topic of water baptism. Are there benefits associated with following the biblical principle of water baptism? Oh, I think so. Not only think so, I know so. <laughs> and uh, I would say that... Uh, some of those benefits come from the satisfaction that one, one gets from doing what is right. You know, you know what is right, you do what is right. It gives you a sense of obedience to the master. And that uh, one can differentiate between Saul in 1 Samuel 15:22, who disobeyed, and Paul, Paul the Apostle, in Acts 26, 19, who said, uh, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. The, and, and we saw it in, in as you referred, referenced uh, also in Acts 9 and 18, where he was baptized. But he was telling the story of his, his salvation, his conversion, and what the Lord told him to do. And he said, I was not disobedient unto that heavenly vision. So it, the sense of obedience gives one the sense of a feeling of satisfaction, a joy of knowing that you are doing the Master's will. So that when you sing songs that, and hymns like we used to do long ago, now we sing different kind of choruses, uh, different times, I suppose. But I still like them, those old 
hymns that we sang, you know, the the Savior came to do the Master's will, something, that's one of those songs went something like that. And we sing those songs and we felt a, a feeling of satisfaction, a joy about serving the Lord and seeking His will and doing His will. So that sense of obedience to the Master is one of the benefits. Then being courageous enough to publicly acknowledge Jesus as Savior. That's a wonderful thing. Romans 10 and 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And Paul himself said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Oh, that people would be able to take that kind of position. Then the public comment, uh, sorry, the public commitment to follow Jesus and the expectation created in the minds of observers about how you will be going forward is also very important. Because when you make that public commitment and you ask the question if it should be in a public place, yes. Because when you do it publicly, you know that you are setting up an expectation in the minds of people that this is who you are now. The old you will not be seen anymore as the old-time chorus would say, the things I used to do, I do them no more. You want some more? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, uh, then there is the conviction others may have about their own shortcomings. For example, by my obeying the Lord in water baptism, somebody who's disobeying Him could come under conviction and therefore be moved to do or challenged to do the right thing. And then the rewards such a righteous act brings in this life and in the life to come is very important. As we know, Jesus did speak of it as righteousness, righteous act. But in Second Timothy, Paul speaks about being ready to be offered up and the time of his departure is at hand and then he says I have fought a good fight I have finished my course I have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which my Lord the righteous judge shall give to me at that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love is appearing Jesus said this must fulfill righteousness Paul said, I've got a crown of righteousness. If you refuse to be baptized and fulfill righteousness, then you cannot boast or even expect a crown of righteousness. You couldn't even love the appearing of the Lord because you'll have to answer to him, why you, did you refuse my instruction that you should be baptized? So you're not, uh, you, you, you're not looking for his coming. Brother Campbell, we have a couple of messages that have come in. First one comes from St. Kitts Nevis. Good night, Brother Nathan and Brother Campbell. Quite an interesting topic. I am trying to figure out why a certain group of people teach that baptism is the means for salvation, that you must be baptized to be saved. Can you please comment? Yes. Uh, not certain, but... A certain number of groups, different groups, uh, 
have that belief that if one is to be saved, one has to be baptized. And uh, interestingly, even in, 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 a, in a group like, um, to use a term that I learned listening to Radio Lighthouse, even the group fundamentalists, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, you preach in, in a fundamentalist church and people have a battle to understand, uh, great difficulty understanding that that baptism does not mean that you are saved but you are baptized because you are saved as a believer in Christ. And um, that, that, that creates a lot of problems for many people. Um, the, let me see if I can get to, I think I have some notes on that. Uh, and I would like to see if I can use my notes so that I um, get a little more precise with my response. Um, yes. Uh, baptism for salvation. Where they get it from? Maybe in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. But... Uh, but Nathan, you have that nearby. You can read it for me. So I don't yeah, I can pull that up. Acts mm -hmm. chapter two, two and verse eight. Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Mm -hmm. Acts two thirty-eight reads as follows. It says, "Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." Okay, because uh, Peter ties the two together there persons assume that that was uh, the, the two components of salvation. Repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins. But the Bible tells us that we have to compare Scripture with Scripture in order to understand. Uh, Peter ties it in because baptism is an indication, or being baptized is an indication that Jesus is your Lord and you're obeying Him. If you don't Baptized, it has to be interpreted that, well, Jesus is not really your Lord because you're, because you're not obeying, obeying Him. But in terms of salvation, we know what salvation is. Our Lord Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul <laughs> makes a very interesting statement in First Corinthians chapter uh, one. I think it's verse seventeen. First uh, Corinthians chapter one and verse seventeen. I think so. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Exactly. Paul made it clear that uh, baptism is not an integral part of salvation. It is, a one, an act of obedience to the Lord, and it's a testimony to the people who are observing. So the fact that Peter ties these two in the portion we read there in Acts chapter 2, 38, uh, should not be held as 
the uh, final position of the church uh, on baptism and that it is necessary for salvation. Peter himself later wrote, I think in 1 Peter 3 and 21, and referred to that water baptism as just like the washing of the flesh, which is what it really is. I, I don't know if you have that, brother. I do. First uh, Peter three twenty one says, "The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ." Amen. So what we're seeing there is Peter telling us that there is the baptism which is the washing of the flesh and there's a baptism which is the answer of a good conscience towards God. That's a spiritual baptism and uh, that is what saves. But the washing of the flesh is just the, not just the, but very important testimony and an act of obedience. So we virtually become the washing of the flesh when you're dipped in the water and raised up. And so Peter said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the conscience that you have about right and wrong. And Romans chapter 2, towards the end of the chapter, explains a, quite a bit about conscience excusing or else accusing us. And so that makes it, the, the conscience very important. But um, the Peter himself, the same Peter who we quoted from Acts chapter 2, is making the distinction between the spiritual baptism, and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which one experiences when one commits one's life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is the uh, water baptism, which he calls like the washing of the flesh. Uh, in my early days, we would hear people saying, uh, they go down a wet sinner, sorry, they go down a dry sinner, and they come up a wet sinner. That is for people who did not really commit their lives to the Lord, but mm -hmm. went through the process of water baptism. Our next question comes from, and thank you for all who are sending in their comments and questions. Our next question is a WhatsApp from Antigua. Some believe that if one is not baptized in the name of Jesus only, then that one is not baptized the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is not the name. Please comment. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yes, it is quite true that some say you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus only. And that, again, comes from uh, the scripture in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. But we have to note Matthew 28 and 19, where the, we are told there that uh, they should preach the gospel to all the world and baptize those that believe in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that uh, is clearly the instruction that was passed on to the disciples and the apostles, and that is the standard procedure that is accepted in the church uh, and practiced over the years and, and we believe was practiced in water baptism in the New Testament church, the, 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 in, in the Acts and so forth. 
But clearly that is how what the Lord Jesus left. His instruction was that. Peter would not have contradicted the Lord, but he simply was expressing a focus on the need to repent and to be baptized. Yeah, you'd have a hard time contradicting the words of Jesus and claim to be a Christian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Doesn't get much more clear than that. Matthew 28 and verse 19. Thank you to those who are sending in their questions. Do you have a question? We would love for you to interact with us tonight. We still have about 35 minutes left in tonight's episode of That's Truth. And the voice that you've been hearing teaching is that of Brother Nestor Campbell. We're talking about water baptism. And so if you have a question, feel free to WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. If you would like to call and be put live on the air, the phone line is open and available and awaiting your call. And that phone number to call is 268 268- Four six two seven four two zero. If you have just tuned in, uh, Brother Campbell has been walking us through what the Bible has to say about water baptism. He started out with what the process is and the significance and some of the key things that need to be present in order for biblical water baptism to take place. And he also spent some time talking about benefits associated with following the biblical pattern for water baptism. Brother Campbell, is there a difference between, for the individual who's confused about water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not to take you down a, a, a big rabbit trail, but are those tied together or are those two different things? There are two different experiences. One is an inner experience. It is the experience of the believers, of what the apostles um, had occurring in their lives in Acts chapter 2. They tarried and they waited because the church was not yet born. <clears throat> Excuse me. The birth of the church would have occurred at Pentecost. And not so long ago, I was reading about that in my uh, own reading, personal reading, a little while before I came to the studio in Leviticus 23. And uh, the... The Pentecost, Pentecost was the time when the church was born. The first fruit, as the, as the first fruit uh, offering, that was on the first day of the week because it says that the seventh Sabbath, the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, so there were seven Sabbaths, they had to be counted, four to nine days, and the morrow after, which would then be the first day of the week, the church was born. And it is very uh, interesting to note that the apostles were there in the upper room on that day of Pentecost, which was the first day of the week. And the church was born uh, on that occasion. And the Holy Spirit came down and baptized them. 
And that was where the church began. The Lord Jesus kept saying to, to them, you have to tarry. You know, I will send the comforter. I will send the comforter. It's not yet now. You won't understand it now, but you'll understand it when the comforter is come. And that's the Holy Spirit. And that's the, the baptism that the, the uh, apostles uh, experienced. And when a person... When, when persons commit their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, they have to be baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. If you're outside of the body of Christ, then you are not part of His. I think um, maybe we should read that portion in First Corinthians chapter 12, I think, verse 13. First Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Brother Campbell, we have a caller from Montserrat. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Brother Nate, good night. Good night. What can we do for you? Um, well, I got a complete question. Um, Brother Pastor Campbell, good night. Love and service broadcast. Good night. Good to hear your voice. Yes. Um, we just call for comments on a couple of things that already done said. Um, pertaining to the identification. Because I want identification, eh? Right? Um, for the world to see that... Um, not the physical, because not the spiritual people, you can see things not the spiritual or the spiritual with the, with, the, with, the, with the physical eyes. So I just want identification that the entire world is the really on follower of Christ. And pertaining to the um, Pastor Campbell say something that um, up in India, that they use, um, you know, sometimes wisdom have to use. Really and truly, um, it's a matter of, okay, that, that, that I want human, that I want human um, standpoint. But remember the scripture say, any man come after me, let him deny himself. So even even the one we say that um you know want to catch one call. He only say, well, you know, deny deny self and you know, education education spiritually could play on one um one, one, one part of that too. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, but go ahead, make a point. Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, my little ex my testimony now, mm -hmm. I may say like, me baptize, me live in Antigua, me am not sure, but me live in Antigua, so me, me baptize at Pigeon Point Beach, English Harbor. But, um, and then you say stop breed, but what the pastor do, the, the pastor me take two fingers and close down, close down my nostril. So when we go on there, there is no way that um we could um suck up water to my nose. And when we when we come back up, we're a little dizzy. 
<laughs> a little, little off balance, you know. <laughs> but um, for follow for follow Christ really, um, and Brother Nate asked some Christian early, um, like the handy. Well, me, me put him like the handicap position, like the thief on the cross in the handicap. There is no way that he could go. I want completely different now to if you're free. You see, two, 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 two different experience. An experience like that, again, you could be on the hospital bed close to death. But that's completely different now. If you're out there free in the world, you show, you show that you don't follow Christ. That's a mind input. Thank you very much for your call. We appreciate it. And have a safe and blessed evening. Keep your radio dial tuned to CRL. Continue to encourage others to tune in. The time? Go ahead. Uh, yes, I appreciate the comment that the caller made. And I also appreciate the response he had to my suggestion that uh, persons may have to use wisdom depending on the location um, uh, in some places where they're persecuted. But I also agree with his point that we uh, would need to deny ourselves and follow the Lord. And that will be wonderful if uh, if they feel free of the Lord to do it that way. Um, yes, I, I agree. I take the point that you're making there, caller. I think it's a good point. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.33. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live interactive program. If you'd like to call and be put live on the air, you can call 268-462-7420 with your question. Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. We have a couple other messages that have come in from WhatsApp. A WhatsApp question from your daughter who is in Canada uh, sharing a very simple analogy about baptism is the tradition of wearing wedding rings. The ring is a symbol of marriage and it's assigned to others, a.k.a. a testimony, that you are married, but the ring does not make you married. I think that's a very appropriate, uh, very visual. I'm a visual person, a, a good visualization. So thank you very much for that comment. Anything you want to mention, Brother Campbell? Just that I'm very proud and happy to have such a daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your call, Lynn. <laughs> yes, thank you for your thought from Canada. And a WhatsApp question from Antigua. Question, can I enter heaven without being baptized and what difference does being baptized make then well um, I don't know if what we said before would satisfy this uh, listener um, maybe the listener has heard what we said and is not satisfied with that if we need to go a little further but let me just repeat that we have the example of uh, the thief on the cross, as the caller also mentioned. Um, as the, the caller used um, a technical term, well, in terms of baptism, he said it's identification. Um, while we were saying a testimony, a public testimony. But he said, the, I'm forgetting now the term he used to, uh, qualify the situation with the the thief on the cross. 
but basically the thief on the cross was not in a position to be baptized and Jesus said today shall thou be with me in paradise and uh, paradise we understand to be the third heaven or the abiding place of God and uh, the, I, I don't think that we can throw any doubt on what the Lord Jesus promised this man Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He was baptized with the Spirit, I suppose. I'm, let me not go down that because the Spirit was not yet given, uh, not until Pentecost, uh, in that sense, in the sense of what the church experienced at Pentecost. He would not have had that experience. But he got the promise from the Lord that he would be with him in paradise. And uh, the, he wasn't baptized. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 17, which uh, Brother Nathan read for us kindly, and we appreciate that. Uh, Paul said, the Lord did not send me to be to, to, to baptize. You know, he said, look, um, I, you can't say that you, you're baptized in my name because I only baptized one or two or three, and then he, he remembered one, and then he remembered two, and then he remembered three, and he got obviously frustrated uh, he said well besides I don't remember if I baptized anybody else but the Lord did not send me to baptize and I don't think that he was taking away from the importance of baptism but he just wanted to exercise wisdom where persons were saying I'm of Paul and I'm of Cephas and I'm of Christ and I'm of Apollos he said well don't uh, label me as one of the people, because I didn't baptize you. You know, the Lord didn't send me to be to, to, to baptize. And that tells me that if it were important for getting one into heaven, then Paul would not have been able to speak about it like that. Brother Campbell, we have another call, this one from Antigua. Codrington, thank you for calling, and please go ahead very quickly with your question for Brother Campbell. I will. Um, before time in when they have from the birth of um, Adam when she uh, when he born all those people into the world they are born in sin okay up to Mary when Christ was born what kind of baptism they used to use in those days and explain to me how they baptize people for their sin and son in those days Thank you for your question, Codrington. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, from the time of Eve up to Mary, what type of baptism was practiced? We do not have any record of uh, baptism as such. Paul did make reference to the children of Israel traveling through the, the wilderness. He said they were all baptized into the cloud. And I like that little... Um, reference there because it suggests that they were completely engulfed in the cloud. In terms of the instructions that were given to the children of Israel, it was all about uh, bringing sacrifices and they were, the, the various sacrifices were named. I don't know, but I can remember all of them, but there was the burnt offering, there was a sin offering, there was a trespass offering, there was a wave offering, and all of these had different uh, purposes and so forth. And that's what they did. 
And uh, in some cases where a person sinned, there's one where uh, if a person had sinned and broken the law, the blood from that offering was taken, and just as, as was done with the high priest um, Aaron and his sons, where the blood was, uh, the, the Moses dipped his finger in the blood and painted their ear, the right ear and the right thumb and the right uh, <coughs> great toe. And uh, those are the symbols that were, were done in those days. If a person had broken the law, it's the, 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 they were also required to bring a trespass offering, and that was done with them as well. But uh, in terms of baptism as we know it, uh, one would have to get into the history, and apparently the, there's no clear history of uh, prior baptism. But there was some baptism, yes, but, and it would have to be like what John did because uh, John would have been carrying on that uh, tradition from wherever it started, and that was to take them to the water and baptize them. So it would not have been a common practice in the Old Testament? Not at all. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 840. Codrington, thank you very much for your question. If you have a question you'd like to call and ask it live on the air, feel free to call 268 462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268-782-1454. We have a WhatsApp question from Antigua that has just come in. Good evening. Mark chapter 16 verse 1 says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. According to this verse, Mark 16, 1, why would these women want to go and anoint the body when it would probably be de- in a decomposition stage a day being in the tomb? Plus, the women were forbidden to touch a man's corpse in those days. What are your thoughts, Brother Campbell? <laughs> that question seemed to be coming from a scholar and uh, uh, therefore it would be a, a challenging one so her question is why would they want to go and uh, and anoint a body that was 24 hour, hours in the grave not in the grave but in the tomb um, I don't expect that there would be serious decomposition um, at that point and I'm sure you'll agree with me on that but that probably doesn't answer your question um, but we're also told that uh, that Nicodemus and uh, uh, what's our rich man's name again? Joseph um, of Arimathea Joseph of Arimathea thank you very much um they went, um, Nicodemus took a hundred pounds of spikenard and Joseph of Arimathea, they went together and uh, embalmed the body, you know. <laughs> Tells you that these people really didn't believe he was going to be raised on the third day. Um, they, sorry, on the, the, they would have gone on the, sab- on the on the first day of the week, so it would have been more than... It would have been three days 
um, in the tomb. Uh, some decomposition could have taken place. But I'm just throwing in that because I'm just throwing in the matter of Joseph of Arimathea because uh, we are told in John chapter 21, I think it is, that um, that these men went uh, to embalm the the body of Christ. Okay, so I don't know if those if they would have communicated to these ladies what they had done, but there was a more um, important part to the question. Uh, plus, women were forbidden to touch a man's corpse in those days. I don't know that they were forbidden. I, I mean, I just read through the Bible <laughs> in, four, in 38 days, and I'm now reading again, uh, and I haven't seen that anywhere. But maybe it's something that I missed, because I've missed something over the 50 years with the Lord, I only just found out the name of Moses' father. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyhow, the um, no, I don't know that that they were forbidden. Maybe that is from, from a legal point of view rather than an ecclesiastical point of view. But um, but even if they were, these women would have understood that Jesus Christ was bringing in a new era and that uh, you know they had listened to him saying you have heard it said in the law that this that that and the other but I say unto you if a man only looks on a woman with lust in his heart he had already committed adultery and uh, so forth so the Lord Jesus kept making the point you know uh, greater than Moses is here, uh, greater than Solomon is here, and so forth. So they, they would have heard that kind of message, and they would have known that anointing Jesus was something that was approved of, because the, the, the woman in the house there who took the alabaxa box of ointment, alabaxa, sorry, box of ointment and anointed the Lord. The Lord Jesus said she did it against my burial. Brother Campbell, what is a true believer saying when he or she enters into the water of baptism? <laughs> I answer that with, I would answer that with just one verse of scripture. I am crucified with Christ. Hmm. You know? And of course, not only crucified, Romans chapter 6 tells us that you're buried with him in baptism and uh, and you come up in newness of life. But that verse in uh, Galatians where Paul speaks about being crucified with Christ, I think verse 20, chapter 2, 20, I think it is. Uh, he says, nevertheless I live. In the body I live, nevertheless... I am uh, crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet mm -hmm. not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what that person is saying. <laughs> what are some, we've got about 11 minutes, uh, 12 minutes left in this episode of That's Truth. 
I know there are some false teachings about baptism. Uh, some of them have been referenced in some questions that have been coming in this evening. Can you give us a summary or an overview of some of these erroneous teachings that have been used by cults or other false uh, groups? Yeah, some were referenced, and we don't necessarily need to go back to them, even though maybe some person might have joined us late. But uh, one that I came across, well, I came across a long time ago, but I, I actually looked a little bit at what the, the particular religious group has been teaching about it, is that of the baptism for the dead. And I'm glad that I did do that little bit of research, because I found out that the teaching of the of Joseph Smith, who they referred to as a prophet, that particular group, um, has a prophet they call Joseph Smith, and he taught them that it is not only important for them to be baptized today for a relative who died in his sins years ago to get him out of punishment for his sins, but it is important for them to do that for them to be saved. So that if you don't baptize for the dead that has gone before, then you will end up uh, <laughs> in hell. Um, now to me that's serious error, very serious error. They get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29. 1 Corinthians 15, 29 says... Mm. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? Now, if we are going to interpret any scripture, it has to be interpreted in the light of scripture as a whole, the Bible as a whole. And there's no way in the Bible that we are taught that persons who are already dead in their sins can be redeemed from their sins after they are dead. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, I think. Um, Matthew 25, verse 46 reads as follows. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. They go away into everlasting punishment. And if they're going away into everlasting punishment, and then suddenly they're saved from everlasting punishment, then it was not everlasting punishment. But the Bible says it's everlasting punishment. So there's no amount of baptism that can take place in our in these times by those are, who are yet alive to take them out of everlasting punishment because they've already gone into everlasting punishment. So that's the, the teaching of the Word of God. And in many places we understand that in, um, in Revelation 20, etc., so there's no way that um, somebody can be baptized today for the redemption of relatives who uh, uh, died in their sins. And there's no way that if I fail to be, to baptize, to be baptized for that relative, that I will in turn uh, be condemned. No. We have a text message from Antigua. Good evening. If one is baptized only in the name of Jesus, not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is this considered a correct way of baptism? 
I thought of that while driving across here. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, what the thought that came to me is, it is better to be baptized in the name of Jesus than not to be baptized at all. Uh, some might uh, d determine, well, I don't know. I think that those who say that may be saying, and I think I understand that that's what they're saying, that Jesus is the Father, and Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Holy Ghost, and therefore they're baptizing in the name of Jesus. Well, if Jesus is the Father, and Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the only Go Holy Ghost, and Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the, Ho and the Holy Ghost, well, the corollary. One, you're saying, I'm doing it in Jesus' name because Jesus is ABC. Well, you can do it in ABC and it will still be Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so, make certainty doubly sure, as, as Shakespeare says in, uh, you know, in one of his plays. You know, the best pattern to follow, as you said earlier, would be the words of Jesus in Matthew. Where 28 and verse 19. Yep. I can't dispute the words of Jesus Christ. No. As we continue to talk about this topic of water baptism, we've got six minutes left in this episode. How do you explain the truth about the doctrine of water baptism? Or yeah, how would you explain that? Uh, I would say that it is the representation of the spiritual experience that happens at the point of salvation. A person is saved the moment he receives Christ as his Savior because he is baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And the Bible says, they that have not the Spirit of Christ is none, none of his. If someone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So we cannot say, well, I've got the Spirit, I, I don't have the Spirit, but I'm saved. So you know that you're saved when you commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God takes control of you. But then you proceed to the point of water baptism and you do that to testify to the world, or as our caller from Montserrat said, uh, as a form of identification with the Lord, uh, to testify that you are the Lord's and that you believe in his death, you die, burial, you put under the water, and resurrection, you raised up out of the water. It's a testimony of faith in what Jesus did for you at Calvary's cross. Are there any other erroneous teachings that you want to draw our attention to, or maybe some verses that might be misinterpreted and the proper interpretation or verses that would be used to uh, counteract those false teachings? Well, I think some churches, uh, might be multiple churches, but I think uh, some churches uh, do what I have to interpret as a triple immersion. So you go down once, twice, three times, and that's their idea of in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. And uh, I think that that triple immersion is uh, threading on dangerous ground because uh, 
do not recognize that God is one person, mm. one, that we, we have uh, three persons, one God, and um, try to focus on that separation could very well be misleading. Uh, it also ha has to do with the fact that there's one baptism because, I mean, you're actually baptized when you're put under the water and brought up. And if you're going to be put a second time, that's another baptism. And the third time, that's another baptism. But Paul in Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, tell us that there's one baptism. Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 to 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, even as we are, ye are called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So that's important that we recognize this. One God, one baptism, and not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, it's there's uh, well, but the, the important thing is to understand that God is one, and there's coming the time. I mean, Jesus Christ, and in, in, in we read in um, John six and uh, twenty seven, Jesus said to his disciples that I come out from the Father. And that is what makes him God. You know, a child comes out from the mother and he's human. And he came out from the Father in John 6 and 27. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and I think it's 26, here he says that God shall be all in all. The Son will give up all things to the Father so that, is, that God will be all in all. So one time he came out from the Father to do a work of salvation, but it's coming a time when he, he will submit again to the Father or, or become again one, as it were. In, in the human sense, they, 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 they become one. And, um, and God will be all in all, you know. So we, we have to recognize that God in his own purpose identifies himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, the time is coming when we would not need the Holy Spirit the way we need him now. We would not need a son to die for us, and therefore we'll have God as all in all. Brother Campbell, as we wrap up this episode, is there a biblical basis for being rebaptized? There's not a biblical basis but there is human reasoning. And my contention is that we should follow the Bible and not human reasoning. And I know this because in one of my uh, Zoom Bible studies, which I have on Sundays at 6.30, uh, one uh, visitor to the program uh, ask the question, if there's no rebaptism, then when a person falls into sin and he's known as a sinner and he comes back, how does he establish himself as a, a, a believer uh, as such? And he felt it was all about baptism, but I pointed out to that, that person that we are told to repent, uh, and if we repent, we confess, sorry, we're told to confess our sins, and if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 
and we go on. Thank you very much for your teaching tonight, Brother Campbell, and God bless you as you continue to serve him here in Antigua. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.